0: In the AFLW grand final, watched by 53,000 people at the Adelaide Oval, the injury to Jack Watts, Richmond crashing down, and the retirement of Bulldog Liam Pickin. The weekend's footy was high on emotion, high on tears. I've been, you know, recovering. My tear ducks have been constantly on edge for about three and a half days. So, for the AFLW side of things, follow up this episode by listening to our season wrap up with North Melbourne player and former hockey roo, Georgia Nanscorn. But for all of your other usual segments uh, and terrible jokes and terrible banter, you are in the right place. It almost goes without saying that Gordon is here. Hello, Gordon. I love it Almost goes without saying.
1: We're, we're a two-man podcast. I I'm, I'm bring, I bring half the bands, mate. What do you mean? So it goes without saying. Yeah, but it's like it's you almost take me for granted. Well I, need, well, I never take you for granted. Come on, give me some bigger. Well, let's brans. not do that.
0: Let's not go there. That's a relationship trouble that I don't want to have to deal with. <laughs> Straight into the talking points, which started on Thursday. It was one serious case of fear and loathing at the MCG as we watched Collingwood humble the mighty question mark Tigers in a preliminary final rematch. So, Gordon, as my attorney, I need to explain to me why you walked 100 kilometres to deal with this despair.
1: Because I would walk 100 miles and I'd walk 100 more. Oh. I did it for, for charity, actually. So I did the Oxhand Trail Walker uh, and, uh, yeah, I did it actually enough time that I only missed one game of football. Twenty-two weekend. hours. So 20... co-
0: context: my friend did it in twenty-eight. And I didn't. When you sent me a message saying I'm walking 100Ks, I actually just assumed that you were really upset about Richmond losing. I didn't clock that you're doing the same 100K walk. I wasn't actually but I was I, picking it made up. Track.
1: I wasn't. I wasn't upset. I was actually just. I couldn't cope with your like five degrees of of guilt and grief. So I was like, what's the, what's the one way I can guarantee my phone won't be in uh, reception so I can't put up with the uh, banos banos uh, blushings? And that was to uh, go out to the mountains and walk around in circles for a while. I was. A new level of miserable. You were, you were, you, you were, you were inconsolable. I was with you. You, I never realised this, but you're you're a chair slapper. You, you you thoroughly either annoyed or scared the poor lady sitting in front of us in the AFL members. It was fear and loathing because you got up there and you were you you slapped the chair so hard you gave yourself blisters.
0: I uh, that's my hands were red. I didn't give – I no, already, no, had, you have, you already have. to blisters are No, no you, they're
1: already there. No, don't lie to the people. This is the people's game for the people, by the people. I'm a rough and working class
0: man. I have <laughs> rough hands. <laughs> you
1: are a journalist. You're a white-collar worker. <laughs> you sit in an office and you give your hoity-toity opinions and you were slapping a chair so hard you gave yourself blisters. You're an embarrassment to the fandom, mate. Pull yourself in. I completely disagree disagree
0: you have to ride the wave and in true fashion we are surfing along that wave of grief i've done the five stages of grief of a richmond
1: loss all right as you're i will be interjecting when necessary but go ahead
0: well this is annoying because i've i've been thinking about this since about 1 a.m on friday morning thursday night when i woke up having a dream about jordan to which incidentally is where the denial started. So the denial, I think, begins during the game when the tide was thoroughly against us and I was clinging on to the last reserves of hope. The high point of this was absolutely my utter refusal, refusal to accept that
1: Jordan degoy had just taken mark of the year. Probably what, fifteen metres from where we were sitting? And that's the point. That's one of my points. It's like I saw that and I am like enough of a footy head to realise that was a marvellous moment, probably the snapshot moment of the year. And then you are just being like, no, no. No, so I was.
0: No. now I realise how good it was and I've taken a step back and had a good hard look at myself. But at the time I wanted a free kick because he full-on both hands on Oleg Markov's
1: head pushed him down. There were no hands. The hands were grabbing the ball no, mate, no, above no. his Before, head. If you look at how he got there.
0: He leapt like a rock lobster. Anyway, so I obviously tried to tell you that it was a push out. I denied it. Um, my denial continued as I walked along the Yarra Post. game. by this point, after we sort of parted ways. Yes, I, went, I,
1: I was about to offer a condolence drink and you were giving me donuts on the vibes. Oh, so, well, so, I would have said yes. So,
0: but uh, as so it was. You were a salty, salty boy. I went for my walk and I kind of walked along and oh, how beautiful is Melbourne? You know what? You know what? I don't need Richmond to win to experience true happiness. I just need to be here walking home from the MCG with my people, my footy crowd, not just my Richmond people um that didn't last very long because then i got home and i got into bed and this is when the anger started because i opened up to it and by this point we found out about the Jack walt risk prognosis which i just kind of like gotten over it not quite because we were still in the despair stage but you know we were getting out of there and then we went back there anger was really about collingwood fans on twitter because i got really riled up like maybe midnight um and I'm still haunted by the ghost of Jordan De at this point. He hasn't disappeared. His face is just there.
1: And the Twitter sphere is a dangerous place because the Twitter sphere, more than any other social media space, is definitely misery merchants. Oh, it's trash. Like it was, it was Collingwood reveling the fact that Richmond lost, not the fact that their team won. Yeah, which we'll get to later on in the Yeah. Part. Well, the tweets that I've
0: not, I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to save these up for future reference when we beat Collingwood again, whatever that may be. Yeah, 2022. Um, I guess Lynch is taking Rance's role as the diver while he's injured was was one that got me. I love watching Trent Cotchen acting tough. It makes me laugh. Um, that one got me because Um Good to know that we're playing against the Tigers and the Umps tonight, fairly ordinary stuff. Now, that one really got me. Um, and then the other one, and I can't actually – I couldn't find this, so I don't have the full wording when I went back to look today, but Richmond are now our bunny, which I just I thought was fanciful – but also probably my worst
1: nightmare uh, on Twitter. I also probably say that Richmond have always been there, Bunny. Not really, not for my recent memory. No, but as in like over the history of the AFL, But like they've been the more dominant. They've been the more dominant club. Like, yeah, but not now. Hopefully. <laughs> anyway, so we got from
0: anger. We got a bit of sleep, but it was interrupted by, you know, dreams about Mason Cox kicking snaps
1: around his fitful, body. Fitful, fear fearful rest. I
0: actually did. And I'm really annoyed to admit this, but I actually did have a terrible night's sleep as a result of the fact that we lost. And then there was bargaining. So Friday morning, footy gods and I were having a little chat, morning prayer in the shower. I'm like, can we? Can you take Oleg Markov instead of Jack Rewald? That's so mean.
1: We can just, I know, I love Oleg
0: because I love all the Richmond players, but like is there a way that you can not... Have you know Jack re out for eight weeks? Like, what well, can I give so up? So,
1: you would happily, you know, you know, the train philosophy, um, moral argument where it's like there's a train line barreling on a track. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can, and it's going what to be, go- no, no, but as in like, You're talking about a wrist injury. No, no, we're, so we're talking about there's 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 uh, AFL players on a on a tied onto a track, there's five fringe slash role players. <laughs> On one line, on, on, this that's and so this train will will gently run over them so only their ACLs are severed on one track, and on the other is Jack Rewell who has his wrist on the, the line. Would you sacrifice Jack to save the five, which is like a, a utilitarian argument?
0: I don't know if I want to answer because it might reveal things about my character that I don't want the good citizens of the people's game to know.
1: Um, plead the fifth, fair enough.
0: No, no, I'm going to answer. Footy's about the stars. Yeah. So I have no hesitation in flicking whatever yeah, switch. Yeah, and you're saving, you're saving, saving, save save JR. Yeah, you save
1: JR okay. every single bloody time. Sorry. The coaches do too. Sorry, except, I'll... and this is probably jumping oh, out here. The, have you heard
0: the Tommy Havey story?
1: No, but pause on that okay. one. So pause there. <laughs> because talking about saving JR, if we're trying to save JR, why put him in the ruck? We are we are no people to question the, the coaching smarts of Damien Hardwick. But why would you why would you put your best forward? In the rock. No, the silver
0: lining of this is they probably will pick Bolter, which means we'll have a certified second ruck. Anyway, different different case because we didn't get to the silver lining until quite a long way through the weekend. Yes. The Tommy Haifey story is about Sheedy and Bartlett got caught in a rip. Oh, yes. And, and this, is, yes. this is like up there with my all-time favourite footy stories. And Sheedy, yeah, Hafey goes out, swims straight past Sheedy and – no, it wasn't. It wasn't Bartlett. It was Royce Hart. It was mm. Sheedy and Royce Hart. God, I've just put KB as centre half forward. And um, when Sheedy asked me about it, the legend goes, "Well, back pocket, you know, you're pretty replaceable. But a centre half forward, they don't grow on trees." Which is, yeah. Uh, oh my God. That's Truth be told, cool. he saved them both,
1: though. So. No, he did.
0: But he went back for Kevin later. Yeah. And I think quite. I'd probably do that. Um, if we were in that, that's maybe that's the analogy that we should be using rather than trains and buttons. Yeah. It's like if you've got uh, a Dan Butler and a Jack Rewald, where do you go? That's, that's really insightful as a former coach of mine. That's a different set of moral dilemmas. Anyway, moving on to the depression. This is 100% the worst part of the whole equation. Mostly experienced at work on Friday whilst trying to avoid the radio, the newspapers, which get delivered to my office with Jordan Degoe's photo on every single one of them. So that was really, really fucking difficult. Um, Friday night kind of helped a little bit because we had a bit of footy. But on Friday by about 3 p.m., I was planning for 2020. I'm going, we've got to get games into Jack Ross. We've got to get games into Bolter. Maybe give games to Callum Moore. Um, And I'd essentially decided that we were going to be one and three. I was like, there's no way we're beating Port Adelaide. There's no way we're beating the Giants. We probably won't even beat Sydney at Marvel and we'll probably lose on Anzac Eve to Melbourne. So there we are, one
1: and five game over. That's a very dire outlook. Everyone I've asked has been like, oh, Richmond can't win the flag, Richmond can't win the flag. I'm like, so so would you miss finals? They're like, no. Mm. they like, do we miss the four? And they're like, maybe not. I I like, just, so it's not game over. No, I just consulted JB, that idea. we used to not ever play finals. We used to be called ninth them. Yeah, and I'm, okay, well, we got – let me get to accept. Get get some perspective. Reach us now. Take us to the end of the uh, five stages of grief. Well, this was just an experiment in ledger logic really and it was probably aided by the fact that
0: there were some other abysmal performances. But I basically worked out if we make it to three and three, Jack comes back after four weeks out and we're fine. We're laughing. Um, and this was probably on Saturday, so I'd had a decent amount of wine on Friday, which definitely helped, and I had an evening where I did not think about football, which helped. Um and I figured that on form we'd probably beat the Swans, we'd probably beat the Demons. We might sneak a win against the Giants or Port. And so we're what, like three, three, four, two, not looking that bad. And then I remember the last time I actually watched Richmond lose live was 12 months ago in round two in Adelaide in very similar fashion, which made subtle difference to the way that the rest of the year went. Did you not go to the prelim? No, I didn't get it. Do you not remember this? I fucked up tickets. Oh. It was one of the best Best fuck ups I've ever made. Probably. Yeah. Uh, As also, I had the grand final ticket, and my sister, junior, had the prelim ticket, and I still think I got the better end of that deal. Absolutely, because you can't win the flag on prelim final night, but also you can not win it on prelim final night. Um, and so then, by the time that I'd sort of got the footy, the footy came late, which is another talking point. But by four pm, a little bit hungover, but I got Essendon and I got Melbourne. And I'm not going to lie, reveling in someone else's misery was the final part of the acceptance.
1: Yes, you two are a misery merchant, that's okay.
0: No, I just needed someone else to laugh at. And that was capped off by the fact that by about 5 o'clock on Sunday, uh, shout-outs to Benny Ansell, my favourite Melbourne sporter, invited me to a ski weekend in September. And on one hand, I was like, this is really nice because I obviously have friends who appreciate me and I feel
1: valued by this. But then part of me was also like... A Melbourne fan just invited me to a ski slope in the middle of football season. Yeah, without a hint of irony. Mm. Like, he did not even bat an eyelid
0: about it. And I, was, I just love that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we got through the five stages of grief. Um, which really leads us to our next question. So, why did it take so long for the Saturday football
1: to cure my misery? What What were we doing with that Saturday fixture? We had just a bacon afternoon. I loved it. I love that fixturing because it's when you can get to the game. You never make it to a one ten game or a one forty five game. Was it suggesting one ten? But maybe like
0: two thirty would have been nice. You know, like grand final time, maybe on a Saturday. Yeah.
1: That's so. How many people are not involved in any form of football? Like what large? Yeah. So you. And you know that
0: this is. And I'm also, a and also but
1: when I say like you're not involved in any football, you are. Like you are, you're a journalist. You, we do this. We did this podcast. You're involved, not as heavily as some other members of this podcast are in the football media. But like, so family members, a lot of kids play footy. Footy, kids footy happens in the morning. So if you're a family, want to go to the footy in the afternoon, you're not making a game before four o'clock. If you're an adult that plays footy, you're playing footy at the same time as a one ten or a one forty five or a 2.30 game. So if you play Ammo's footy, you're not making it there either. So the perfect time to start is when the football did start. 4.30, have two games on at 4.30, have two games on at 7.30 and just put on your big boy pants, like I said last week, and put the games where people want to go to them. And had which is always the graveyard of football, was completely full for an Essendon St. Kilda game. Essendon St. Kilda. That was never going to be a good game. It wasn't a great game, but it was full because people can get to that. I thought it was great, but
0: that's a different story. Yeah. That's because of the two Essendon players running past the ball to go to the bench, and then two minutes later, one of them kicking it into their own player on the goal line. But annoyingly, I kind of tend to agree, but I do think the TV thing when you're hungover in bed and you don't have footy. Watch a replay. Of what? Richmond, of the, Richmond of, losing to Collingwood. Of
1: literally any game in the history of the world. I should have watched the 16 grand final or 17. Or the 1980
0: grand final? Oh, we were good then. Well, did, we beat Collingwood in grand final once, didn't we? Back yeah. The, well, well, I should have
1: found that. That would have killed That would have,
0: that you completely, yeah. So my next question, because I feel like you've won that argument about Saturday fixturing, is about serious injuries. So we had about, I sort of tweeted somewhere in the third quarter that Jack Watts roaming free on a half-flank was a religious experience, which is because Can of you
1: please explain to me your sentient connection with Jack Watts, a person you've never met a person that's never played for any old clubs. I had
0: breakfast near him once.
1: You had breakfast near him. And he ordered
0: a lamington and ate the lamington before he ate his eggs. Oh, well, he's a great boy then. I was pretty appreciative of it. Um, and he did the crosswords, so I figured that we're essentially the same person.
1: You're not a sweet tooth, though, are you?
0: No. But, oh, no, I just, I think that he is a much maligned figure who had finally found a role for himself. And I was enjoying watching him function with that freedom and then, mm which leads me to sort of the point he's gone and broken his fibula in a horrible and very serious leg injury um, in the Nathan Brown caper. Uh, So for me, that really crushes – it does take a little bit of soul out the weekend. Like you do leave the weekend with a bitter taste, and that was compounded by Lyndon Dunn um, in Collingwood's VFL doing his on Thursday on the back of 12 months of rehab. Um, Jack, which was significantly less serious, but then also – Erin Phillips and Chloe Shear. Uh, and I just feel like when you get out of a weekend where you've had that number of serious injuries and we've had a lot in the first two weeks of the year, it just leaves a real horrible aftertaste.
1: Yeah, and I did tweet during, well, the Phillips one was the one that got me completely but because she was robbed of a moment where she basically won Adelaide the game. Like the, the game wasn't alive for very long, but when it was, she was the pivotal player and hence why she got best on ground. But then she wasn't there to revel in the in the moment. There's nothing better having having had the joy of experiencing a couple, of being on the field at the end of a grand final when you win. Mm. And as your as their most important and most powerful and most dominant player, to be robbed of that privilege is is really upsetting. And the same thing but then like you extend it out. Like Lyndon Dunn has done all this work. There's there's very few other professions where you can do all this work and then for no fault of your own have all of that progress taken away from you and like yeah they're pr- like off especially in the aflm they're privileged people that get to do a job that many do for leisure and get paid a lot of money to do it so you go like he didn't die and like worst case scenario he doesn't which play which is what ran and second. yeah and like and, the, and worst case scenario he doesn't play football again and that's not the end of the world but it's also in that moment everyone's troubles and everyone's uh hardships in life are, are within their own relative limits of existence so for that that's a really bad thing to happen to a person that didn't deserve a bad thing to happen to them hmm. so i agree with you that it's a, it's shattering whenever these things happen and especially in the women's game where they sacrifice everything for such a limited paycheck Eight, nine weeks yeah. that doesn't yeah a limited paycheck and a limited time frame and if they do like any accident happens then they miss an opportunity and more likely than not there's a there's so many people wanting to take this opportunity such a limited pool now that you probably will miss out next time around if you're still injured so But is that even more shattering?
0: Yes, Um, I, I mean, it it is also more so with the Phillips one. You can focus on as horrible as it is. The response to that was incredibly moving. hmm. That will live with, I think, football supporters everywhere for a very, very long time. And there was, it was in the the Bob Murphy mould in the sense that not every sporting story is perfect. You can be as prominent a figure in the game. And that sort of thing can still impact you. And for Erin Phillips, that was her childhood dream as the daughter of a a South Australian champion in Wayne Phillips, to be on the Adelaide Oval in a grand final in a women's competition she never thought would exist, playing a game she never thought she would be able to play. She had to give up as a child. This is the crowning moment of her entire sporting life and it's a pretty decorated sporting life. Um, So it is that constant reminder no sporting story is perfect there's mm. always the sorrow mixed in with the joy but there was there was not joy but something that is incredibly memorable in itself in the way that she was received
1: well absolutely and if anything it kind of proves that often sport is the best natural narrative like that's why that's why sport makes such good movies like that was better than the like the sports movie ending but the sports movie ending is she's come over, all come over all this hardship and she she is who she is and she finally makes the play a Adelaide and she wins best on ground. They win a grand final and they live happily ever after. That's a really cliched ending to an, to a story. So in terms of a, constructing the best like, narrative possible that have the best impact to a reader or, and a or a viewer and a depth of feeling, that's what sport has. And then to see, I don't think she almost gets that recognition without having the injury because there isn't that, that em- empathy outburst from everyone there that goes, oh, she's, she's being robbed at this moment. Mm. And so instead, we will repay it to you. Like the feeling that you would have got from being on the field at the end of the game, we can't replicate that, but we can give you something that's very, very close. And I feel like, being, like having a standing, a standing ovation from 53,000 people well, at level. the biggest at
0: standing ovation for a female athlete at a standalone sporting event in this country yeah. because it was the biggest crowd.
1: <laughs> would, be, would, be, uh, would be very, very close to what she would have felt
0: the end of that game. Yeah, and I guess if you talk about the fictional, and it's the same with the doggies in sixteen, you write that premiership with Bob Murphy playing, like you write Grand Final day in your mind's mm. eye. With but then Stewart. you
1: miss the moment where where the coach brings does does, does the beyond the right thing, yeah. does 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 the thing that scriptwriter wouldn't think to write, mm. which is what sport. And they be. didn't
0: have Bob Murphy that day, but they did have Liam Pickin, who announced his retirement today. And I guess my question to you, Gordo, is how will the game remember Liam And he's the only AFL player to finish with 99 wins and 99 losses thanks to Swamp. Such a
1: bulldog stat. It's so many, like, it quirky. Exactly 50-50. They're, such, they're such a quirky little team and a quirky club. I'm, I'm all for the Bulldogs. In fact, I'm on the Bulldogs. Hey. <laughs> I'm on the Bulldogs. I'm on the Bulldogs this year. Say that again. I'm on the Bulldogs this year. Say that again. I'm on the Bulldogs this year. Okay, I'm not going to make you say it again, but I can't believe it. I like it. And the reason why I like it is because they're doing it again. Like currently they're playing their, tw- their 2016 football brand. They're They've gone back their, to the future. Their footy brand. It's young dogs learning their old tricks yeah. again. Yeah. Anyway, how will Liam pick and be remembered? That grand final, clearly.
0: Uh, his final quarter, and I went back and watched the highlights today and started crying, um, the mark. Which is on the cover of the 2016 Doggies Almanac Uh, is like the mark he took in the final quarter is painted by Jim Avalides, who's a well-known artist who does a lot of stuff for the age. There was that. um, There was the goal to put them seven points ahead with seven minutes to play, and then there was the final two minutes left moment where Pickin gets he's one on one in the goal square. It doesn't mark, but he taps to advantage. Essentially, ends up slamming it into an open goal. It's Bruce with the. It's over the drought. It's over the damn wall was busted. And then you've got Picken wheeling off behind the goals, sort of in that iconic 42 image with his arms aloft. Yeah. I, I just think that, like, and he was their player of that final series mm. throughout the four games, um, which is, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to conceive that a player like a Liam Picken who for a large part of his career was was a... Maybe Journeyman, Journeyman's probably a bit harsh. He was a good, very good, honest AFL role player who then just had the most obscenely brilliant month. And I think there's something special about
1: that. Hmm. Which there's, I think, which I almost respect Norm Smith's. Well, I mean, he didn't win at uh, Norm Smith, but I respect those. Norm Smith? Uh, Jason Johanneson. That's correct. Uh, but those, those are, like if there, if there was a player with a final, well, I think Liam Pickham wins it. And it's those moments where. Like being able to play your role to the best of its capabilities, and sometimes beyond that, and have moments where you go beyond that mm. is is more special than being this natural freak. Like not everyone can be Nat Five because Nat Five is a six and a half foot midfielder that's that's rapid and is actually quite a good kick. Like it's, it's too many things for anyone else to be like. It's 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 almost wrong if you have a kid to let them think they're going to be Nat Five when they grow up. Play footy, whereas it's perfect to let you think that they, they anyone can be, can be Liam Pican. Well, no, because they, they be Liam and son. So that's you know. yeah, yeah, and then also diminishes what he is because he is, that's part where people forget. It's like oh, he was just like he was just a really good AFL footballer. Yeah, but only a microscopic percent of people become <laughs> AFL footballers. Yeah, so absolutely. That's where that's the people we lose the context. Yeah. So how, he should be remembered as a, as as one of the dogs' greats. Because the, well, yeah. he's involved in the grand funnel and he's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why they got to have that drought broken. So he mm. should be remembered very highly. Well, the Flanagan line, because Picken doesn't say a lot,
0: Is he's the silent man who will make the MCG bellow his name, which I still love. But he's, um, yeah, I, I think that when you talk about the, you talk about a club that only has 44 premiership players. So there's always going to be a certain level of cachet. And for them to win that final series, he had to play in the forward line and he had to play above his height. And that's kind of one of the reasons the mark is such an iconic image because Tory Dixon, there was so much back to the future about watching Tory Dixon on Sunday because um, he did exactly the same thing in the semi-final that year against Hawthorne. And there was a guy sat behind us who couldn't get over the fact that his name was Tory and just spent the whole game going, who calls their son Tory? But I love you, Tory which was bizarre. Um, but it was an encapsulation of what they needed from a, a group where they, they just didn't have a key at all. And then they went through this weird phase of recruiting Travis Cloak and – Shaki, who, to be fair, isn't super tall, but um, was a, was very good on the weekend. So they've gone a little bit the whole way around. Um, but it was, I mean, it's sad to see a career cut short at any point by concussion, um, but I think he will be held in such wonderful esteem down at the kennel and in this pod cave. So, Gordo, next question. Well, it's a double-edged question, really. Did we underestimate St Kilda 1? And of the two zip teams, who can actually make it from this position?
1: Do we underestimate St Kilda? I underestimate St Kilda because I said I wouldn't win the game of the year. And clearly I've been made to look a fool.
0: Well, I
1: mean, at that point, yeah, you're quite quite wrong. Uh, Do I think they're going to make finals do anything like that? No, I don't. And I don't think they've shown anything. I I said in my other media commitments today that I want to see the media be more about teams that win as opposed to teams who were less worse than their opponents. But I think, unfortunately, for Sip Kilda, they've had two examples where they were definitely less worse than their opponents. The two games they played in have not been high-quality games of football, and to and to try and big those games up would be incorrect of me to do so. So, sorry, St Kilda fans, but enjoy the win, enjoy being fifth and ladder, enjoy being 2-0 because... Again, as a Richmond fan, there are many years where you just crap and you need to celebrate everything and you need to let the lid off and you need to pretend like you're going to feel how this feels in September, but you're probably not. And if you do make it, then you can clip this up and put it all over Twitter and call me a fool and dance all over my uh, media grave because that's what you deserve to do. Prove the haters wrong. Do it. But until then, you're not going to play finals. Of the rest, though, of the rest of the uh, 2-0 teams, I think they almost all play finals. I'm super excited about the doggies, as I just said. I'm ready to get on their bandwagon, and I'm ready to embrace. Are you feeling okay? The the, the uh, you've just nothing but you know little slights
0: at their 2016 premiership because they game. stole it
1: because they were not a good team all year. They got good at the end. They snuck into the finals, and then they jagged a, gra- well, a grand final. That's the system. That's the system, yeah. But they weren't like they just snuck in. They weren't like, I want to see good teams be good. F- Half their team was broken. Yeah, that's the point. It's a fairy tale, but fairy tales aren't aren't real. That, that grand final wasn't real. That grand final was the most outlandish. If you if you saw that as a script for a sports movie, you'd be like, oh, turn it down, Chief. Like, it, oh, that's a bit much, isn't it? No, oh, another one, another ACL. Oh, come on. It was a fairy tale, and so what? And that's why everyone said it's the greatest grand final performance of all time, the greatest grand final, the greatest story. So, so, so be it. Fair enough. Good play to them, but they were not the best team that year. They could be the best team this year, though. The way they are playing footy from round one onwards is super exciting, and it's the thing they were going to meant to be doing after they won the grand final because they won it too early, and everyone admitted that. The coach admitted that. I looked at their list of graphics. The the science behind football, the pseudoscience behind football, suggested that we're only going to get better and they're finally showing the potential to get better. So I'm super keen on them. The rest of those teams are also going to be very, very good teams the rest of the year. We've got Geelong who have gone back to the future. Well, I'm pretty excited about Geelong and Port because they've
0: invested in youth and changes of method and gotten results that I think... I think I probably thought they were possible with Port. I don't know if I saw it in the case of Geelong, but I think it's exciting for
1: both. You didn't send in the case of Geelong? No,
0: uh, I thought they were miles off.
1: It's a team that has Hawkins, yeah, I Dangerfield, is. Yeah. Ablett, well, Geelong, Selwood.
0: Me, I, I'm a dog person, not a cat person.
1: That team was always going to be good. That team was always going to be good, and they added extra Kelly. depth behind them.
0: Kelly's not on the best midfielder in the comp right
1: now. Yeah, they added Dalhouse, who's, who's great in the 2016 year as well. Yeah, Rowan. Yeah, so that's all there. And then you've got Brisbane and Port playing super exciting footy. And so I think with the 666, these teams have worked out how to do it. You can do it two ways, I think. You can be like the th- three of the teams, the, young, the younger teams are all about pace. They're all about just being super aggressive and taking on the extra space and that's what the dog has been doing, that's what Port's been doing, that's what Brisbane's been doing. Or you can do it what the cats and the magpies have been doing When the magpies absolutely spank Richmond on the weekend and that's be super, super clean. And so with the extra space from the midfield, there's no repeat stoppages. So as soon as you lose the footy, and Richmond, these, surge, these dirty surge teams, so it happened to Hawthorne on the weekend against the Dogs, happened against Richmond. If you turn the footy over, you're not getting it back if they're clean. And so your teams like Geelong, your teams like Collingwood will steal the ball off you. They won't give it back. You'll waste your time trying to defend and get turnovers and trying to do the frontal pressure, and they'll be too clean come over the top and score against you. And that's what those teams are doing. So all four of those teams are legit. All four have a really good chance of making finals now. I'm all about those four teams. So, footy media, you think we're misery merchants. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't understand why. Like why are we why can't we say that people are really, really good? Like those 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 teams, all those teams now in the media, you'll watch all your three sixty on the couch, talking footy, footy classified, all of it, and none of them will say much good things about them. They'll say, We need we need a larger sample size. You know what they will be saying though? If Essendon lose on the weekend, whoosh is gone after three games in this season. You could extend it out and say after a couple of seasons, give it more context, and fair enough. They'll be saying, oh, if Melbourne lose, though, they'll be billing this game as like a WWE loser-leaves-town match. Well, it is, and I'm super
0: excited because I'm a misery merchant. So question for you, because I think that this is a really interesting thing in the media context. Bad news generally takes up more paper space than good news. Mm -hmm. So clearly from the vibe that you're experiencing, that translates to football. Yeah. The media are more interested in the bad news than the good news.
1: And I don't know why because I don't think – I think that's trained behaviour. To use a – was it Brad Scott or Chris Scott that talked about behavioural economics? Yes,
0: it was at
1: Geelong Scott. Yeah, Chris Scott. Yeah, that's Chris. I still get them mixed up. They get themselves mixed up, I'm
0: pretty sure. I wonder – like would they – I really hope one day when they have a coach's dinner they just swap polo shirts. They've already done that.
1: They've done the polo swap oh. before a couple of years ago. Well,
0: it's not funny in
1: you know, Jack. You're only two years behind, not for the first no, time. No, diddly diddly do. But yeah, what I so what I don't understand is with the media in general, but especially in sport. Like sport is the most important thing that doesn't matter in the sense that like if it, if your if your team loses the game, the world doesn't end. But like terrorist, wow. yeah, wow. yeah, except for you, it takes two days to get over him. But it, it is super important, but it also is not important if if you get what i mean if you go
0: back to that philosophy edition of
1: the new philosopher it means nothing and it means everything exactly so what i don't understand is why can't we focus more on the good why can't we celebrate what this is it's very rare in other forms it is it is a subset of the cultural the cultural space and it's very it's still prevalent when people say oh this new album is shit or this artist is going off the ropes and there is like a tmz vibe and there is this there is like an e, uh, e-weekly and e, e-news and all that kind of stuff around the entertainment space where we kind of badger and pillage celebrities, but that's, that's slightly different. But when a new movie gets released, more often than not, it gets hyped. When a new album gets released, it gets hyped. When there's a new exhibition at an art gallery, it gets hyped. But what we do in sport is we try and focus on the negative and we say, this is bad, this is ridiculous, these are to be held to account. And the same with umps. Instead of celebrating the fact that these teams are going great, like, why? Like, there was very little said about St Kilda. St Kilda were meant to not win a game, according to so called wannabe experts. Beep. And Yet they've won two in a row. And there's not enough inches in the papers saying, how great is that for St Kilda and their fans and the history of them being a struggling club? And instead, it's all about Eston. Like, how could they possibly lose to St Kilda? That's horrific. Yeah, I'm with you. But
0: I also want to know what odds you would have gotten for those five teams being 2-zip.
1: Mm. Huge, huge odds. And that's
0: one of the things that I do think. It's even more good news than you have had in previous years with teams being 2 zip because that's a, like, they're the odd bunch.
1: I think maybe this is why the focus is on the negatives is because the majority of fans have lost. Like, in terms of actual members per club, there'd be a, a, there'd be a vast majority of people that follow footy whose team has lost and whose people have picked the wrong teams in their tipping comps and there'll be a lot of negativity from the fans because it's not going their way and these smaller minnow clubs are taking over in the early parts of the season. So I think that's why the, me- the, the media is focusing on the negative because the people they sell papers to and the people they sell clicks to and the people they sell TV to is in that negative mindset at the moment, yourself included. So I think that's why it's happening. But also, like, let's be a bit bigger than that. Let's let's, let's embrace footy in slightly agnostic terms. So if your team is is having a rough patch, Find the fun in footy. Go find your people. Go for a walk along the Yarra or something.
0: Or just watch the dogs pull out a nine-goal final quarter. That got me very up and about. So final one for the talking points. This is a bit of a – it's not a serious one really, Uh, although it could be. Um, So how was Adelaide Crow Paul Seedsman's post-quarter time siren barrel not in the best three goals of the weekend. It went like 60 metres. Because it was a
1: set shot. It floated on the wind. I don't care. Because it was a set shot. I don't care. That's why, though. It's a barrel. you meant to kick That's set hard. shots. hard. It is hard. You're not meant to kick them from 65 They used to on back the in, fence. They used to back in the day.
0: Nah, I thought that was a joke. But I also haven't seen the other candidates because I haven't done my research properly.
1: Buddy's so goal was better. Libba's goal was better.
0: Libba's goal was outrageous. In fact, Libba was outrageous.
1: Libba was amazing.
0: Like, Libber is the dog's... Like you talk, I think if you talk about players who are heart and soul of your club, I don't know if there's an example that's quite the same as Liber. Like, so you have the romanticism of being him, him being a son. You have the fact that he's a little bit of a loose cannon means that he's not always been at that level. Um, I guess a lot of people would allege that. So he isn't.
1: He kind of epitomises the good dogs in a way that. I don't know he's an underdog is. in himself. He is. Because he's not perfect. The Bont is their best player, but he's perfect. He's your squeaky clean, five na- naturally delivery. gifted five. You can't replicate him. Like he's, he's just this – he is – if you could build a footballer from scratch, you'd build, being. you'd build Bont. Hmm. You wouldn't build Liver, but Liver's very, very good at football and arguably more important that when he's he has more impact on Western Bulldogs' chances of winning games, when he's good, then the bond is good because the bond's always good.
0: And a lot of people traded him out their super coach teams, which was funny because he then went and had 145 on mm. the weekend and I was very happy that I stuck on the Liber train. Libba, Liber! Libba, oh. Liber Libba, Liber Libba, liber, liber, liber. So the people's question, is Australian rules football really for everyone? This is a question that we're asking on the back of... Eddie Maguire, who's now pretty much allegedly ticked off every ism. So we ticked off racism with Adam Goods, We ticked off sexism with the Caroline Wilson scandal, and we've now ticked off ableism. So in the background, with this is the background, do we actually think football is for everyone in the manner that it is supposedly everyone's game, the people's game, the game for the masses?
1: I think it is, but I think, the AFL itself doesn't do enough to make it so. So they're not deliberately excluding people, but they're also not doing enough when things like this happen to to show everyone that everyone is welcome. And so we have this with, like, so they do token things when you talk about racism, like they have Indigenous round, but then they don't, they really, like, wait in the backgrounds for everyone else to pick up the fight against online racism or online trolling. They have the AFLW, but they don't make it a proper competition. They play around with all the rules. They play around with the structure. They invite people to do a coin toss, but then either they don't tell people about the context of them being there or the people in the positions of power don't read or do their due diligence on who is there. And then, they, and then obviously, clearly, there is this this privileged subset of people in footy who have positions of influence and power that's default setting, is to make fun of other people that are either different to them or below them. I think that's that seems what worries to, me. that that seems to be the sense, and it's not just Eddie, but it, it, there's lots of commentary around. As I said before, like lots of there's lots of negativity in in sport, especially in footy, and even in the week where Bob released another club about di- like the new form of masculinity, like even even that's the difference. Like we still don't have any openly homosexual AFL players. We still don't have that acceptance of, of other religions really like that we have we have token tokenism we have token features and that kind of thing but there's no there's no real freedom of expression so we still we still we're aware as a sport that all these things exist and all these things need to be recognized and all these things need to be accepted but there isn't it isn't there isn't an overarching feeling that it's actually happening it still feels like a white boys club yeah
0: and just to roll back to your point about that desire or default setting being to ridicule or take the piss. Hmm. And I I don't necessarily think that it's like there's something to be said for a bit of banter, but I just feel like, you know, with people you don't know, it's not Eddie and Dermy having a joke, is it? Like, so when our, like no matter who's tossing the coin, hmm. when they toss it badly, why is our default setting to go into ridicule mode? Hmm. Uh, and Eddie Maguire – Clearly hadn't read his show notes, so he didn't know the context of what was going on. My question would be that shouldn't be your default mode anyway. Hmm. This isn't a footy person. This is someone that's tossing
1: the coin and he's going to toss the coin once. It's a thing you see in stand-up comedy where they flip the role. So like Tom Gleason is a comedian that always takes the high status. So he, he does belittle his audience, but he didn't start that way. It's a, it's a persona that he built with the, with the conceit and the consent of his audience, knowing that they're gonna they go to a show to to feel that awkward vibe in your gut when you pay money and then they pick on you. It's a weird it's a weird thing, but if you if you consent to it, you obviously want it, you enjoy it. And the same thing with a lot of comedians that take high status roles, but as a commentator, you're you're in this you're the gateway to the game, especially on on radio, especially on TV, where that's your job is to take people that either can't afford to go to the game, can't get to the game live too far away, unable to make it because of or, or whatever reasons and let them feel part of the game. And when you take the high status and poke fun at someone because they can't toss a coin, then you do put everyone else on the adder. You're saying, I'm I'm here, I'm a higher status than you, you must take on my views. And maybe that's not a deliberate action done by these, by these people in the media, but that is the action that they are taking.
0: Mm. And I, yeah, I just... It just sits really uncomfortably with me still because it goes back to the boys' club feel. Mm. And I just, I feel like the more that this space has evolved, I just feel like we should be stepping further and further past that. Um, because there's a difference between taking the piss out of a person tossing a coin and me and you taking the piss out of each other. It's it's the it's someone walking in here it's who's a bit, never it's, been into it. It's his bias always about consent. When yeah.
1: in doubt, it's always about consent. And if you're not talking to someone, they can't give consent. The Biff. The Biff. Talk to me about uh, the Biff, Gordo. So there was massive blow-up in the Hawthorne-Western Bulldogs game because of a couple of free kicks given away by Amira and Cicely for like mini Biff off the ball. It wasn't even real Biff. I don't – yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they, I, to be fair was, – It was argy-bargy l- Live,
0: best. I thought the Amira one was a six 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 because I'm an absolute doom merchant. Yeah. <laughs> I was He's like, a- the Hawks are going to lose because of 6 6 Yes, Kuyong is going to blow up. <laughs>
1: And it almost did. And so there's been lots of commentary from usually its previous. So in terms of the mainstream media, it's ex-AFL stars that were usually a bit rough around the edges who now have positions in the media saying it's a joke, they're going soft, blah, blah, blah. What a disgrace. How dare the umpires influence a game and how dare we not stand up for our rights So, a little bit of argy-bargy and gamesmanship. And fine. And if I'm being totally objective and honest, Yes, it's a bit soft. But is it, if I'm being my like legalese person that likes to get nerdy about the rules, my attorney. it is the correct decision because that is the intent behind the rules. So the exact, I think, the exact quote from the umpire's coach, Hayden Kennedy, was that they're trying to rub out the off-the-ball stuff and the quote he uses, and this is what people are using as their crutch, is, There is an instruction this year. If we see any player using a fist in a striking motion to penalise it, fine. So people will say they're not using a fist; they're using an open palm. Cool, but striking is striking. Like the intention is there is to to aggravate the opponent, to get in their face, to maybe injure them a little bit, but not too much. So no, you're not going to whack them in the guts anymore. You're going to, you know, like bottom palm them in the sternum. So the intent is still there. So the the real crux of the and the real question is. Do we want to preserve that in our game? Because everyone will arc up and say it's been a part of our game for 120 years. Cool. In the 90s, bashing blogs used to be a part of the game for 80 years. Have you seen like the Neil Balm? Some of the Neil Balm footage from the 80s is just ridiculous. Now, people will take me out of context here and say that I think palming someone is the same as punching them. No, I don't. What I'm saying is by penalising this, we're saying just don't be an idiot off the ball. And so everyone's blamed the umpires. I would blame Sicily. I think Alistair Clarkson would have blamed Sicily, saying, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you get caught up in this?
0: And this was um, Chris Fagan's point on Waitley this morning, was basically if the AFL hold the line here, the players will just adapt because they're not that stupid.
1: Because the players have stopped punching people. And
0: you don't want to be that person that does what Sicily did and you don't want to be the bloke that gives away that stupid free kick that costs you the game. Now, in, in the end, I don't think – I think people are too quick to blame the umpires. I think you made the point that they would have lost anyway because if you look at how the momentum was going in that game, the dogs were flattening them and coming home like the clappers. But I think this will just self-correct. I don't think the blame needs to be on the umpires. I don't really have a problem with it either. So we came in tonight and we watched the footage of – was it round 20, 2009? That's right, the round 20- 20. The ridiculous – Jake King inspired Richmond Biff where Jake King uppercuts Alan dydak in the stomach. Then from the resulting free kick, Jake King tackles him, gets hold of the ball, plays on, gets tackled, and then jumped on by about 18, nearly the entire Collingwood team's on top of him. And there's like 15 spot fires around the ground. We, we knew this was going to happen. We preempted it pre-game. So Alan Didac's got it under control. He don't oh. look too phased. we oh, have a look at the push-up though. He's in his face saying, there's more of that. Didac plays on. They try and get him in a, uh, a shepherd arrangement back-to-back. Oh, look at the Collingham boys they're tackling. They're look at the boys. They're into him. They are drawing him all of them. Do a push-up with him on top of you, Jakey. It's a group drawing. And Jake is being pounded into. Everyone
1: on the ground's in the fight here. Yeah, the forward footy's still going, Brian. They've called and, play on and, and bouncing around in the middle of an all There's 15
0: arena. fights going on. Well, Richmond could do worse and stir things up a bit, Brian. I'll tell you what, Nick Moldau's been a little bit worried, boys. The last thing he needs is a couple of suspensions leading into the finals. Well, look at Jake's jumper. Uh, Collingwood have got to show more composure now. They've got the ball. It's hanging on by a shred, Jake's jumper.
1: That's ugly. Like, so that's ugly and that's very different. And that's 10 but, years ago. But when you, the concept remains the same. And so I'll share this in the show notes. It's a Triple M call. And, and Gary Lyon is the one I'll, I'll pull out here, not because I want, to, I want to pick on him, but more the point. His perspective has changed. So in 2009, 10 years ago, he is basically cheering on, congratulating, and almost like analysing the fight and who's doing well and who's not.
0: Along with uh, Brian Taylor,
1: James Brayshaw. And uh, Danny Frawling. and Danny Frawling. the generals general Saturday Rub team, and so ten years ago, they are literally cheering this on, like it, like like little school kids, like 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 they've seen a brawl out in the schoolyard and everyone rushes out from the classrooms to go see what's happening. Fight, 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 yeah. fight, fight. You you look at Gary Line in, in particular on the couch on Fox Footy at the moment, and he's very much against this. He's very much against gamesmanship and idiocy and things off the ball that distract from from gameplay. So he's changed his perspective because we've changed the society in 10 years. Decades, a very long time, and we've realized we don't need the biff. So, my question to you as a football fan is how much biff do we need? It, and this goes back to the Bob article that was uh, published midweek. It was like about a different masculinity in sport now. It's like that. You mentioned as well, like Collingwood tweeters are saying, how funny is it watching Cochin be tough? Is there anything tough about biff? Is there anything tough about Sisley? seeing his team fade in a, late in the fourth quarter and then having to palm someone in the chest to prove a point. Is there anything tough about any of this? Or could we completely eradicate it and say just you can you can still rub shoulders or whatever and then just tackle hard, just hip and shoulder hard when they have the ball, like just play footy? Two
0: things there. I think the first one is that I – I think it's a really good thing that media, and we talked very specifically about Gary Line have been able to get beyond the, no, in my day this was what it was and it should always be that. I think that's actually a real pro, um, that people have are actually able to adapt with society so that we're not just going, no, footy should be like it was in the bloody 80s when we used to belt the crap out of each other because that's totally unrealistic and people should actually be in charge with the if that was still happening. Second point is that, yeah, in terms of the Biff, like, and I'd probably go back to the old man here, really. Like I do with most things, Is like his philosophy was always that the tough players were the ones who just put their head over the footy or ran back with the fly and were willing to take the hits. And that was what toughness was, not the blokes that were belting people off the ball. And I know I'm trying to think of a good example
1: um, of the sort of player that we're thinking of and I can't... Well, I was thinking of that example. Is an example of attempted beer from the week and that didn't work. Essendon should have been six goals down a quarter time against St Kilda. On Saturday. And then in that second quarter, Eston had nothing still, and they went the biff. They went they went and tried to start a little bit of push and shove, the modern day version well, it of, used to of, be. of the, of the yeah. deliberate melee. Show something. Show something. Line in the sand, which yeah. was an 04 setup. Yeah. And so there was, and so again, to reference the 2009 uh, footage and commentary, there was a commentary and comments there that said, and Richmond's getting absolutely spanked at this stage in the second quarter. They're down by about 40, 40 to 50 points. And the comments are, oh, Richland fans will enjoy this, it shows that their players care. I don't think any Eston fan was emboldened when they decided to go play the man instead of the ball. It's just juvenile. Because all they do is give away free kicks and make their position worse in the game. And that's the same thing in the Hawthorne's case. Whether or not it's soft or not, whether or not it's it's the appropriate uh, decision, whether or not it had too much impact on the game is irrelevant because you know you're going to get penalised, you know you're going to affect your team, and if anything, it's just selfish behaviour which now we're coming to terms with as, as a general sports, sports media, sports environment, and sports supporters. Mm. So I don't like – I'd much rather them see fo- focus on playing tough footy, and that's what tough nuts are now. Your tough nuts are your Clayton Oliver's. Libber. Liber. You can still have your Hayden Ballantyne's. You can still have your Toby Green's. But like Toby Green doesn't like that many people a anyway, so it's, again, it's you just be tough when you need to be tough. And also, if you're going to be an antagonist, be a Stevie J antagonist. Mm-hmm. Like be funny, be mm-hmm. witty.
0: You can do. A, you can have a little bit of verbal niggle without you know needing to rip someone's head off.
1: Well, all the players
0: will be stuffed now. There's nothing worse than having a wrestled for two minutes. You'd know, Sput. You won't Your legs would be gone, the lactic. You'd be just breathing. You'd need another lung at the moment. Uh, I would tell you what, if you're a Richmond supporter. Now you might start to think your boys care a bit. At least have a bit of a crack and stir it up a bit. Which brings us into book club. So there was a huge kerfuffle last week because Bob Murphy wrote a column about the new masculinity in AFL, where he talked a lot about AFLM, and he used AFLM as a term. Now I'll pull you
1: up there. He didn't talk a lot about AFLM. No, he mentioned it. it just his excuse was, I don't want to say the phrase the men's game. It was the week of AFLW and so there would be confusion about what game I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, which game talking so about.
0: AFLM is a perfectly reasonable explainer, and Bruce McIverney did the same thing on Channel 7. Now, I suspect Bruce is probably smart enough to know what he was doing.
1: Oh, no, it's ba- definitely in response
0: yeah. to the article and, and the kerfuffle. Bloody good on Bruce. But the article that came out uh, in the wake of This in the Age was by Claire Syracuse, which was essentially about why there's such a big kerfuffle that we're using a term like AFLM, and it has confused me no end because in a sport like hockey, you just don't even bat an eyelid because you legitimately need to know. If you're going to the Hockey World Cup, people go, well, is that the Men's World Cup or the Women's World Cup? You need the qualifier for both because it's a game that has always had both incarnations. And I know this debate has come up in soccer or European football or whatever you want to call it um, because the Women's World Cup is labelled with the women's and the Men's World Cup isn't, Hmm. which is... Well, actually, you, I think it's a reasonable question if you're not a huge buff to know which World Cup is coming up. Like, it's not just—it shouldn't just be a given that it's going to be men's sport. Like mm-hmm. We're at a point where that is a re- legitimate qualifier that you should need. But I do think that all of this argument and all of this debate goes back to very similar stuff to Taylor Harris, where you're talking about the imposition of women on what has been a men's space. And so I still feel like somewhere this backlash is men going, no, nah, we don't want this. I'm not happy with this imposition. In Australia, that really is an attitude that is emboldened by the fact that our Prime Minister on International Women's Day said that he was all for pushing women up as long as we weren't pushing women down. Uh, like, So I just think the whole thing is this desire to just protect what has always been a male space, which is absolutely bloody ludicrous because if you haven't noticed, women have been watching football, wanting to play football, involved with football. Playing football. And playing football for 100
1: and since cocky was a egg. Since the creation of the sport. They've been doing it. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. Like it's just a name. Like mm. the AFL is the Australian Football League. That's, that's the whole organisation. AFL is not a men's game. AFL is a, is a governing body. You play the sport of Australian rules football, or Australian rules, full stop. And then, then you have subsets, like the whole thing used to be called the VFL. We renamed it the AFL. The sport didn't change. The sport has always been Australian rules football. It's just a label to help us decide, or help us know what we're watching. Because if we didn't like, if we just renamed it the VFL tomorrow, then we'd be really confused. It's like, oh, hang on, why is Brisbane playing? Why is Adelaide playing? The same reason why if I think we just say that Adelaide won the Premiership, I'd want to know which one. Because last time I checked, Adelaide weren't that great in the AFLM, but they are very, very good in the AFLW. It's it's such a weird thing to get really, really upset about. What's in a name? Like, it just – I don't understand. It, just is, it is so outrageously
0: flabbergasting that people like, why would you choose that hill to die on? I can only – Go because, because they're running out
1: of hills to die Well,
0: a. But I can only say like that. It has to be because you don't want women in this space, and I just that is just like, well, bad luck, champ. They're here, and damn bloody right. So,
1: Gordo, round three. What are you looking forward to? I don't want to say it because I said we should all be positive. But I am sneaky looking forward to the loser leaves town. Because you are a bloody misery merchant at home. (laughs) And because you hate Melbourne. Well, I don't like Melbourne. I don't like Essendon. And not the clubs, but these these reincarnations of teams. Because as a person that likes to do forecasting, a person that likes to have a bet, likes to predict who's going to win and why, they are pretenders. They are... Type A only footballs. So I have no plan B. And when it goes wrong, it goes wrong really poorly like it did against Geelong, like it has for Est in every game this year and most of the games last year, if we're going to be really honest. And so when everyone goes like, oh, these are great teams that have great, you know, list demographics and they're so talented, it's like they're not. They're actually not. And how many passes do they get? And finally they're being like, well, no, no more passes. So this part of me, it's like, no, the the – the chicken will come home to roost with this game, because one of you will be 0-3, and then it will be full burners on, and you probably deserve it. And to be honest, it's probably more the players than it is the coach. But again, I don't think either coach either coach has been lauded in their time as being these magnificent coaches that have like like changed and revolutionized their clubs. They haven't really. They they haven't really changed much. If a head coach's main job is to change culture, these two coaches are not in the same the same strata as your Nathan Buckley's, your Damian Hardwicks, your Alistair Clarksons, even your Chris Fagan's. Like in your Luke Beveridge, if you want to take if you want to take a coach that's taking a young team and and really change the culture there and really change the way their players behave, on field, off field, the way they attack the footy, the way they the, the brand of footy they play to use a modern term. Chris Fagan is your one on one on how to do that. Luke Beveridge in two thousand sixteen you want to on one how to do that. Damien Hardwick, two thousand and seventeen uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, unfortunately.
0: Glad. Well, I'm going to go different. I'm the grand final rematch. been very excited for this. And also because I think this is actually a very important game in the context of both of these teams' years. So they both had very, very good wins, but because of the fact they both slipped up in round one, one of them is going to end up 1-2. And then, you know, having to make up from a behind-the-ledger position. And I think that um, that provides a little bit of extra spice and as much as I know that Nathan Buckley has repeatedly said it's not about the grand final for everyone other than the inside Collingwood people, it's about the grand final. It's about the grand final. Much as Thursday was about the pre, that is the narrative. That is, I know I don't care if they don't buy in. Every Collingwood supporter is going to be sitting there going, and this "I is, want to beat
1: West." And Kings. this is the part where everyone realizes that's a myth, in the sense that it's impossible not to buy in. Like they, footballers are people that live. In Melbourne, as we've said last Or week. In, in Perth, in WA, it's all footy all the time. They can't go, like they're going to have to what? Live in a soundproof cave, turn off all social media, turn off all mainstream media, have all their groceries delivered, get like blacked out Ubers to and from training to avoid any talk of the Grand final replay. A, because the Grand final was an amazing Grand final, and everyone's still hyped on it. B, these two teams should be back near the top again this year. And see, like, there's a chance chance for redemption, if not for the players, for the fans. And the fans want it more than anything. I mean,
0: how can you not be? Collingwood were in front with two minutes to go. And then they lost to one of the most ridiculous, amazing passages of play you could imagine. Hmm. They were 30 points up in the first quarter. Like, what part of you as a person cannot want to go out? I, I just think about my own sport and there is no way, no way I could walk onto that field without going, you know what?
1: I don't want to lose to these blokes. And it is exactly the, the same. players. The players that have circled this.
0: Once, oh, once they once they go back to pre-season training,
1: bang. fish comes out round three, boys. Round Jordan
0: to going. He's he must be fuming about the moment where he let McGovern get to that contest and he didn't follow it. Hmm. Fuming. It's. Well, I've got an Eagles mate who goes and he says he says yeah he's good but did you see what he did with two minutes thirty left in the grand final.
1: Yeah, and even That's, and even yeah. and even Casey, our co host, keeps bringing up moments like when we, we're getting smashed as Richmond fans by Collingwood, she's like, Oh well, my boys actually look pretty good on them. They kept them pretty quiet, I reckon. So uh, what's the big deal? It mustn't be that good then. So even 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 other, and like, as she mentioned in our preview pod for the year, it's a very VFL centric vibe when you live in Melbourne. And it might be the one night where or I think actually you're the opposite. But I'd be cheering for the Collingwood victory. 'Cause it's just Melbourne. It's just like, you know, the old boys get back up again, like the, the mantle returns to the home ground. Whereas I think yours is very Andy Collingwood. No, I'm looking forward to watching Jordan degoey and not being upset by Jordan degoey.